In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is episode number 105, Ride. This is a song by 21 Pilots. Okay. So it's a weird little ditty. Okay. I listened Um, to it for the first time this week when you came up with this idea. uh Uh-huh. I don't know what it is about it. Every once in a while, this song just, it's just a scratch for me. I I don't know how to explain it. I just, it takes me to a different place. Yeah, what did I say? It's you just said, a, scratch? It a scratch. Yeah, I do that all the time. But as you said it, I was like, wait, that's not quite right. What? It, what is it? What's it supposed to be? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad you figured it out because I was still like, yeah, that's right. It's just scratch. <laughs> Scratches an itch. Scratches an itch. Yep. Mm-hmm. Scratches an itch, which I don't know what that itch is, but it does. And everyone asks, well, I just like listening to it. I don't know. Excellent. I don't really have any other good explanation, but I liked the idea of it. It kind of has this, this theme of being out of control or trying yes. to gain control yes. over things that you can't gain Which control is an over. Excellent theme. I feel like that describes oh, a good. lot of literature. So yeah. much literary characters struggle with this theme. <laughs> control, the ever elusive plot of control i don't know why i was thinking this way it just sort of came out <laughs> i like that we were like on masterpiece theater all of a sudden literary control as a device <laughs> and really us just talking fancy just means like enunciating our syllables because apparently yeah. we don't do that in the midwest so yeah okay. yeah exactly yeah <laughs> talking fancy i'm fancy i'm fancy i say literature and That's i say right. all the syllables <laughs> in the word instead of literature Li- literature Liter- literature 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 <laughs> books all the good Look. books are you talking about books <laughs>
okay, this is going on. Sorry. Yeah, this is going on. So, Aaron, if we're talking mm-hmm. about control, yeah, the uh, the lack of it, the trying to get it. Do you have a habit that you think is out of control or makes you feel out of control? hundred percent. And it's a habit that I thought many times I have broken and I have not. And it, I, Amy, you can kind of see like, they're just, it's my nails yeah. and it's my hang nails. I don't, I can't even put my hand up correctly. <laughs> this Look is a good that. time to mention that we're recording on zoom <laughs> and Erin has just put her hands into the camera and hung her little fingies down. Look at this one. It's really bad. Uh, I I gotta be honest. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) That was very graphic. That was a mutilated finger held up to the camera. But listen, I do the same thing. See, look. Oh, see, that makes me feel better. Okay. Look at yours. Look the same. Me just picking at the skin around the nail. Yes. Until it hurts and bleeds. And I don't even know when I'm doing it and it bleeds and it hurts. And you would think that would be enough for a logical person to say, why are you doing this? Stop. And I won't. Uh-uh. Sometimes I'm able to break it by like consistently getting my nails done. Like for whatever yeah. reason, having that, I have no idea what it is, but it prevents me from doing it. But if I miss and then I'm just off the radar and then I can't go back because I don't want them to touch this stuff now. Yeah. Like, well, I- yeah, for a while you were doing the press on nails, right? And that was helping mm-hmm. a lot. So it you, was. Got, you got off your schedule and now you're back. Well, and to- then I was just getting manicures. Like they were just, I was just having them apply polish and like trim up the hangnails. So I couldn't bite at them. Yeah. And then I just got off that train. Like I just missed one and then you're just kind of out of the loop of it. And it's just gone bad and it makes me feel out of control. And I feel like at some point in my life, I should get control of it, but I don't know when that's going to be. Or how? I don't know how. How It's such an unconscious, anxious thing. Yes. That yeah, like halfway through, like a show, I realize I have torn off the skin, the whole upper level of skin on my thumb. Yes. Something. Yeah. I sometimes don't even realize I'm bleeding until I see it on something, and I'm like, "Where's that blood?" Oh. Yep. Oh, I ate myself. What's the term for cannibalism turned towards yourself? Like auto cannibalism or something like that? Oh, maybe, yeah, it must maybe, be. Maybe. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't know if anyone's come up with a term because probably no one else does what we do, which is eating our own skin. I feel like it's other people. I do. I feel so, like this I, is more common. I just yeah. think some people, I think if you don't do it, you're appalled by it. You can't yes. even imagine. Yes. But then if you do it, you know how subconscious it is like it doesn't I'll we'll be laying in bed at night and I must be moving the bed because I'm picking and Michael be like are you picking your fingers and I'm doing it while I fall asleep what that's not normal behavior how are you moving the bed while you're picking it because it's you know it's quiet and like you're in bed and I think it's just probably the noise or like my fingers moving he can tell and he's like what what's what's happening are you picking your fingers while you're falling yeah I am yeah I am am. Mm -hmm. yeah I am because there's a swirl of thoughts going in the head and they transfer yes. to tearing the skin around the nails. Mm-hmm. You know, you said that a lot of people do this and I bet you're right. And I bet a lot of them listen to us. So I bet we're resonating hard yes. with our listeners right now. Yes. Yes. I hope so. Finger I mutilators so. unite. Unite. Yes. Us. Yeah. It's us. And it's gross. And I understand that my hands look bad For and sure. that I, and they're bloody and weird. And people are like, what happened? And I'm like, I'm... 
you know, and I've always done this. And I remember when I first moved to Chicago and I was working at a company that it was like a media company. And one of the big things, you know, perks for like a just out of college student would be these like companies would try and sway us to give their media dollars with like perks, like manicures and fancy dinners. Uh, I couldn't afford on my tiny little salary. So I went for a manicure for the first time on this like client thing. And, you know, my fingers looked like this and the lady was like, oh, when was your last manicure? And I was like, I've never had one. And she's like, I can tell. I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Well, guess what, lady? Soak it in. This is what my fingers are going to look like in three weeks after your weird manicure. Okay. <laughs> it's just rude, first of all. That's not what I said. In my head, I was shaming myself for my fingers. Only later I did I realize I should have shamed her. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't. It's like when you go to get a haircut and they're like, when, when did you get your haircut last? I'm like, I don't need that. Yeah. I don't need it. Well, give me that. I don't need yeah. it. I made it here, didn't I? Yeah. Let's be happy. Let's be happy about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I put the dentist in that category too. Don't ta- uh, talk to me about when the last time I was here. Okay. Let's not pretend that we like to come every six months. Okay. That's not the relationship no. we have. No. Do you yeah. not remember last time I was a sweaty mess? I haven't right. forgotten. Right. I wasn't going to bring it up out of kindness, but apparently you are. <laughs> Just Do you remember how hard I gripped the armrest? Come on now. Well, that wow. was quite an admission. Very brave of you. Talking about habits then. Yeah. Is there a habit that other people have that you could never do or that would make you feel a loss of control? I don't know if it's a habit or a skill or just a life philosophy, but spontaneity. I can't. (laughs) The idea of like just deciding to do a thing like an hour from now and like not going into a shame and anxiety spiral over that. Mm -hmm. That is mm-hmm. completely foreign to me. The idea that a phone call comes in unexpected and I would just be like, gladly, like, yes, let's answer the phone. Good Lord, no. Mm-mm. Spontaneity means terror on mm-hmm. a bodily level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I was at a Starbucks and I must have been feeling myself that day. I don't know. Because a guy came over and gave me his business card. I was like, hey, we should talk sometime. And of course, a little cheesy, a little weird. But then like in the next hour, he texted or I text, I don't remember how this started, but then he's like, what if we just go to dinner here in an hour? And I went into a spiral of like, I can't, I didn't, I didn't plan anything today. Like I need to stay home in my pajamas. I'd have to shower and I'd have to do this and I'd have to do this, but I should be spontaneous. And I was apparently taking so long that he wrote back and he's like, fine, it wasn't that big a deal. I guess we won't hang out. <laughs> well, bullet dodged. Yeah, because that's aggressive. Yeah. Give me as much time as I want to answer. So anyway, one example of spontaneity being terrifying, which is probably why I hate games. Because who knows what's going to happen in the game? Who that's knows? Fair. And for a long time, I just thought this was something weird about me. Now I know it's part of my biology, but it's still like, listen, I'm not going to be your spontaneous, carefree person. Which I never have been so- and I never will be. Yeah. And absolutely some element of that, but there's also two scenarios in there that is just monster like behavior. Mm -hmm. One, anyone who uses the phone when you could text monster, monster, monster. Yeah. That's no, absolutely not. Number two, anyone who just spontaneously meets someone and then is like, we should go to dinner. That's a monster. 
Yeah. Now I think about it and I'm like, oh, he was trying to kidnap me. He was trying to like, you know, this was going to turn into a true crime scenario. So I dodged a bullet either way. It was like, okay, dude. Yeah. Just, we don't have to do this right now. Like we haven't even established if we have enough in common to sit across from each other. Yeah, You just randomly handed me a business card, you douchebag. Jesus. Yeah. And a business card, by the way, a business card. Yeah. I didn't even mention that in the monster behavior category, but it goes there. It felt very American psycho because this was like a few years ago. People don't boot, do business cards anymore. So no. what the hell, buddy? You spending some no. money on, a, on an off-white business card so you can be like Patrick Bateman and try and lure women into your weird apartment? No. Stop it. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good. That is unfortunate. So spontaneity is evil. Listen, I need to plan things. That's all there is to it. I, I support that. Okay. Thank you. Wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. So Aaron... Is Mm -hmm. there something in your life for which you would like to give up control? Yes. Oh, all my children. No, I'm just going to say all my children. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, Send your children out into the wild and see what happens. We're done. We're done. They're half-baked. We're We're done. We're a few good years, kids. Boom. Yep. Mm -hmm. Do your best. Yeah. Uh, No, it's like the cooking, grocery shopping, meal planning. For some reason in my family, that's fallen on me. And there are times when I'm like, I'm okay. And then there are other times when I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of this is my own making because I am a bit OCD and like control freak a little bit. So I like the grocery shopping is partially done by me because I like certain things and like, I like things done a certain way. So I yeah. get that, but it's just the constant. It never ends. It's not like a to do item that you're going to check off and not have to worry about for a while. Like it just every week every day they want to be fed every day yeah it's non-stop it's non-stop once you get done with one meal you have to do the next what's and they're never satisfied they're never no no one you're never going to get a whole group of people to come to dinner for the same dinner and they're all going to be like this is great there's always going to be one person that's like what (laughs) Uh i don't want spaghetti again i'm like yeah well I don't want it to be Thursday again, but here we are. <laughs> or there's your youngest who calls your dishes dirty old soup. When it's not soup. It's, it's not, not soup. even soup. No. It's not soup. And it's still dirty old soup. Yeah, yeah. So that's what you have to deal with after you mm-hmm. work and plan mm-hmm. and do all the mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are a few times where I've lost it and just been like, well, people will be like, what's for dinner? And I'll be like, whatever you're making, that's what's for dinner. <laughs> Just like aggressive for, uh-huh. you know. And then they uh-huh. leave the room and they're like, all right, mom's in a mood. So yeah, yeah. I'm having cereal. <laughs> <laughs> Better go get my chip stash out of my drawer uh, by my bed. I was just uh, watching the Harry Potter reunion not too long ago. Oh, and it yeah. reminded me of the character of the house elf. And you need a house elf. You need someone to take care of all of that stuff. I do need a house elf. Yeah, you need Dobby. I mean, you know. Dobby's no longer with us, but you need a, you need an elf. Yes. And not like an elf you put on a shelf, an elf that actually does work like this. Not a freeloading elf. If you're around, you're doing something. Okay. You're not sitting on the shelf watching us. Yeah. Judgy Judgerton. Yeah. That's no, you are in the action. (laughs) You don't get to have a say about what happens in this family unless you're in the action. Exactly. So Get in the trenches with us, uh-huh. and then and then we'll then talk. We elf on the shelf. You. 
elf. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So thinking about control. Yeah. Now that we've discussed all the things we have no control over. Right. Do you think control is ever real or do you think it's more of an illusion? I think that we think as a society that it's real and that it's mm-hmm. possible. And that's why we spend so much effort trying to control things when really we don't have control over anything, I don't think. And I think, you know, the last couple of years have shown that because no matter whatever good things we're trying to do to protect ourselves, to protect our families, the world's like, check out this new Omicron or like whatever, you know, or like this weekend. Oh, guess what? You're inundated with Omicron. Let's send a tsunami out to the West coast. So it feels like we, we are very, very out of control on a Mm -hmm. global planetary level. So we try and control everything else. We try and control, you know, our bodies. We try and control our minds. We try and control like all of these things that are just as much out of control as anything else. It's a sad, sad illusion. It is a sad, sad illusion. You're right. I'm not going to stop trying because I like my routine. I like the illusion of control. Mm-hmm. There it is. Well, and I think we treat it like it's an algorithm. Like if you do these yes. things, this is the result. But we forget that people do things. Like that's the mm-hmm. simplest. Like they just do random things that we cannot predict or control. Like right. they just, it isn't always an X, Y, Z. You know, you get X, Y, and then somebody goes ahead and does a D. And you're like, I don't know what happened. Yeah. They just then, went off on their own. Right. Or then even remove other people from the equation. We think if we do certain things with our body, then it will be like a machine and it'll be fine. And then things break for no reason or they go Mm -hmm. haywire for no reason. Even just a house. Like I feel good. I feel in control. And then suddenly my faucet doesn't work and the entire world is broken. Mm -hmm. And then I start tearing the skin around my nails so much more. What else do you have control over except your skin? Except the mutilation and cannibalism of my skin. And let's be honest, I barely have control of my skin because I get random rashes and I don't know why. No. And I get weird hairs in places I don't want hairs. Right? Overnight. We're like in an hour. I'll touch my chin and be like, oh, fine. And then two minutes later, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. What are you doing, body? I I thought we were buds. I thought we were on the thing. Yeah. Like if I'm in the mirror in the morning, you show up so I yeah, can do you something show me that you're there. Right. So we have an understanding. You don't wait until noon when I'm out in public with a nice sun, you know, on the side of my face so that it's highlighted uh-huh. and it's looking like a full grown beard I intended to grow. Right. Or like when you wake up and there's like one of those under the skin pimples that you can barely see and you can't reach. And then what in two hours is this massive like thing that you can pop, but now you're out in public and you can't do that. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I don't remember how we got on acne and hairs, but here we are. Here we are. Here we are. are. (laughs) All of that to say, we got some great picks about losing control. The idea of control, the illusion of control. Yes. So I have a fiction pick for us. Yes. It is called The Mad Woman's Ball by Victoria Mass. Mm. This came out last year in English and it came out in French a couple years before that. Oh. And this is set in 1885 in Paris 
And there's a famous asylum that is led by Dr. Charcot, Charcot, Char something, probably something French that I don't know how to pronounce. It's fair. Did it sound fancy enough the way I pronounced it? It did. It sounded really fancy. Yeah. Super fancy. Yeah. And this asylum only houses women. And these are women deemed hysterical Mm. or sick or Mm -hmm. somehow wrong. Mm -hmm. Really, though, as we see with one of our main characters, Eugenie, it's a place to send women that are not wanted. So Eugenie is an upper class girl who's a bit strange, and she claims that she can see spirits. And that is too much for dear old pops to handle. So because, you know, he's a bourgeois upper crust gentleman. So he gets rid of her, just dropping her at the asylum with no warning, just like, see ya, I'm out. Mm -hmm. And there, though, she meets other girls and women who've been shunted off too. These are unwanted wives. These are disappointing daughters. These are girls born from adultery. And a lot of girls just won't shut their mouths. And she comes to the asylum as everyone there is getting ready for the Lenten Ball, which is known as the Mad Women's Ball. And it's this super bizarre annual tradition where basically like the cream of Paris society comes to the asylum for a dance and basically to gawk at the insane women and are just hoping that they'll like have a fit or something while they're there. (laughs) But knowing that though, the asylum women love it because it's this rare bit of excitement in otherwise just a very dreary kind of world. Sure. Even if everyone's laughing at them, they get to wear dresses and all that kind of stuff. But as soon as she arrives, Eugenie spots the ball as a moment to make her escape. And she enlists Genevieve, who is a nurse who's been at the asylum for 20 years. And during that time, Genevieve has never doubted the work that they've done there. Even as the doctors all view her with contempt and treat the patients like shit, she, she's, she's happy with her purpose. She's happy with her role. But with Eugenie, something changes and Genevieve starts questioning everything. And from there, that's, that's where we go with the book. And by the way, this is historical fiction. So this is based on real things. And real oh, wow. Events. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's a thing, apparently. So I chose it for this theme because I think the idea of hysteria is a loose term for any women deemed out of control. Right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. We may use different words for it now, but it's still the same idea. And this was a place to send those women who were out of control, mm-hmm. judged, judged by the men in their lives to be out of control, out of, right, right. Out, of, out of these boundaries that are set mm-hmm. for them. And what's great is when Eugenie and the others sort of embrace that, that, yeah, I guess we are hysterical. Yeah, I guess we are out of control. <laughs> then they can try and find a way to live on their terms, whether it's staying at the asylum or whether it's escaping the asylum or whatever will, will come. So I think it's a really, it's a quick book. It's a really interesting look at probably a story. None of us had heard of, I'd never heard of this. No. And a really interesting look at, you know, gender and the medical establishment and the way women are still looked at today as well as the idea of living within control. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, I never, you blew my mind when you said it was historical fiction. Yeah. Yeah. How it sounds I great. This, I found this at the Des Moines Public Library. Never heard of this book. And the library did me good by, Job. yeah, by attracting me with the idea of a mad women's ball. I mean, how could I turn that down? It sounds great. Right. Yeah. You're in from the jump. 
Um, well, I this I picked for fiction this week a book that was published in just in December of 2021, and it got some buzz, and I see why now because it's it was great. It's called Bright Burning Things by Lisa Harding, um, and it it's the story of Sonia. She was an actress. She used to perform on stage, um, and she kind of had an out of control lifestyle. Like she did what she wanted. We get the idea that there was some childhood trauma that she's not necessarily addressing, but she felt the most alive when she was able to act, but she had a string of really bad relationships. And the latest one, she ended up pregnant and the um, guy said, no, I don't want anything to do with this. She said, no, this is going to complete me. I'm going to have this child. So we're kind of, we meet her after the child has been born and he's four going on five. And she's struggling because she thought that having a child was going to solve some of these problems, but instead it sort of illustrated these areas that are tough for her. And the tougher that it gets, the more she turns to alcohol and she uses it as a way to calm herself. But in reality, it's actually causing more and more issues. So she knows that she needs to get it together. She recognizes that she has a problem, but every time she tries something goes wrong and she ends up having to turn back to alcohol to make her feel better about the thing that went wrong. So finally, after some unwanted involvement, she's sort of forced to make a choice about her future. Um, she's forced into a rehab situation and she has to decide how she's going to take it, what lessons she's going to take from it, what she's going to leave behind and how she's going to make her way back to her son. Cause now there's a longer path. Um, and this story might seem like it's been told a few times. I mean, the trope of alcoholism and breaking up families is one that I think people are somewhat familiar with, but this book is written in such a way that you are in first person with Sonia. So you're kind of in her mind. And the way that the author wrote that is so brilliant. It makes you feel so frazzled and out of control and crazy at some points, and then totally calm. Like you're got it all under control at other points wow. and it, it makes you doubt things like I don't what do I think about that character is that right should they in the same way that Sonia is experiencing it in the story like she doesn't trust her own instincts because they've been proven to be bad because of alcoholism so she sort of lets people in that she shouldn't and you as the reader are right there with her thinking no I think you're right yeah this guy's okay like this seems okay it's brilliant i i just i don't even really know what devices she used without probably rereading it again but i just felt so totally immersed in the experience and i felt so viscerally that feeling of loss of control and um i've never personally had to deal with an alcohol addiction but the way that it was written made me feel it was very authentic it felt very real it felt very personable and done in a way that made it's a character with an addiction, not an addiction that you're following. Oh, and I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's important. Um, I think sometimes that can get overwritten to that's all that you see about this person. Mm -hmm. And there were so many other things going on there. Um, I just really thought this was probably one of the best fiction books I've read about the topic of addiction or dealing with it in a everyday life situation, dealing with it as a parent. Um, it's just really, when you realize where the title came from, amazing. The characters are written so beautifully. I just, I really loved it. It was propulsive, partially because of the pacing and the, you know, the freneticness of it, 
but it was also just, it just stuck with me. It stayed with me since December. I read it shortly after it came out and it's just been there with me since then. Wow. It was, yeah, it was really well done. Just really, really good. Excellent. And is she a debut author? You know, I think so. I want to say yes, but I'm not entire. There might be one yeah. other before this, but I'm pretty sure that it was. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting so. too. Like, you know, I think so many of us have felt that idea of like feeling out of control and maybe turning to booze as like a little bit of relief from there. But uh-huh. I think it's also like the idea too, that sometimes we feel we try to put so much control on ourselves and are so rigid that sometimes we turn to alcohol and drugs and stuff to feel out of control, to have like almost a safe out of control thing. And I know I've been guilty of both. It's so interesting to think about the ways that we use that when it comes to control. Yeah, it is. And it's so fascinating as she's getting sort of out of this funk, she's realizing like there were things that she did to have control that seemed crazy to her now. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, why did, why was I so worried about that? Or, or on the flip side, she's losing her mind over certain things with her son that she has absolutely no control over. Mm-hmm. So the the illusion of control of what we think we can and can't, you know, and how our mind plays tricks on us is really well done in the book, too. You see that very clearly. There's definitely a control element through the whole thing. So it, I... Yeah, it kind of blew me away. I didn't know much about it. I had just heard about it. And then it was just one of those, you know, you pick up and you think, okay, I'll it was available at the library was the main thing. Same. And I read it and I was like, this is just blew my mind. Well, so far we are shilling hard for the library. So hard. I, I mean, that's what we do every week, really. Yeah. Gotta love the library. And we're not asking sponsorship dollars from you, library. Because you no, keep all you, that money. You don't have it. You it's don't fine. know. <laughs> Too rich for your blood. <laughs> we could ask for like uh, a month's supply of Reese's Pieces or cinnamon, you know, Valentine hearts or something. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah. yeah. So get in touch with this library. I don't know if that's the takeaway. <laughs> They're like, wait, what? We have to give them cinnamon hearts to reference? For why? why? We didn't even ask them to do that. What is, <laughs> what? What are, they're bad at this. <laughs> or we're really good at it. Mm-hmm. So still sort of towing that line. Think about it. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it. Think well, about it. Book to think about. Yeah. Other genre pick. I chose a book called Divergent Mind, Thriving in a World That Wasn't Designed for You by Nara Narenberg. And this is nonfiction and it came out in 2020. And the author, Janera, was a successful writer, entrepreneur, and mother before she took on this book. And then one day she was shocked to learn that her anxiety and other mental health issues were actually signs of ADHD and autism. Mm. And like most of us, she had thought of autism and ADHD as something that affected kids, right? Like that's usually the message we get, plus that it affected boys. It's not a thing for girls. So she, as a journalist, she was very like interested in this, intrigued by this. She dove into the idea of neurodiversity, which is the idea that our, that there are many different ways that our brains function and they don't have to be labeled as abnormal or normal. They're just different. They're diverse. She also learned that autism and ADHD present very differently in girls and women, because like I said, we have the stereotype of these conditions 
as being something that affects young boys and often young white boys. And we've come to accept that the ways that they act are the only ways that signify autism or ADHD. But because we as girls are conditioned early to blend in, to hide, (laughs) to be quiet, to be good little girls, we don't see those same signs. So as a result, autism or ADHD or any neurodiversity for girls, it isn't about loud meltdowns and it isn't about like memorizing train tables and it isn't about like hands flapping or any of the things that are supposed signs of that in boys. Instead, it's hidden, it's inside and it affects relationships, it affects the ways they function, but still they're learning to hide it very, very well. So that means that girls don't often get detected when they're girls, they may find out as adults or they may never find out. And as a result, they're struggling with depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, shame, all as a result of that. So this book, from that premise, it brings together stories from women who are neurodivergent. These are autistic women. These are women with ADHD, women with sensory differences, dyslexia, like a whole gamut of neurodiversity. And the author shows how embracing these differences could actually improve our world. We could improve communication. We could improve our work design, our structural design, our societal design. We could change how we work and so many other things. So it's a really fascinating to sort of nonfiction look that includes a lot of personal stories, but also research and studies too. And I chose it for this theme because as I mentioned last week, just last year at age 41, I found out that I was autistic. So I was one of these girls that was just sort of living life and figuring, okay, there's a lot of things that I struggle with, but I have to hide that. I have to keep it down low because difference is shameful. And The things that I'd struggled with, depression, anxiety, IBS, OCD, eating disorders, they're all stemming from undiagnosed autism, which was fascinating to learn and explains so much. It explains uh, issues with communication, with relationships, with sensory issues, some of my obsessive interests, some of the the ways that I hate small talk, the ways that I hate (laughs) spontaneity, Mm, mm. (laughs) the ways that I deeply fear games. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It all comes from a little switch in my brain from this biology. Mm-hmm. And again, for this theme, it's explained why I think I have felt personally so out of control in my life because mm-hmm. I could never understand why I was different, why I couldn't handle things that were easy for others. And what I loved about this book was the idea that our dominant view of what's normal and what's in control is maybe flawed that Uh we should be more accepting of differences in brain biology. And maybe that people who are wired a little differently may have a unique view that's useful, that's powerful, that might help the rest of us too. Right. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's been hard finding out about that, especially at an older age, because you start rethinking your whole life and you start realizing things that you struggle with like spontaneity, like games, like all of those things, that's permanent. It's not necessarily uh-huh. change. And that's interesting, but it also can be very frustrating. And it can make you feel a little alone, make you feel, make you grieve a little bit, this person that you wish that you were. But there's also a power in understanding yourself and in your biology, your psychology, and having a name for things like that. Um, So I think this book is for anyone who feels even a little different, even if, you know, you don't have a a neurodiverse condition, 
Um, this is really interesting. It's also a really comforting view of how we could value difference just overall, difference of all kinds in our world and, and different views of, of disability as well and just making our society a little more welcoming for that. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds amazing. It was, it was very good and it's, it's kind of unique. You know, once I found out about autism, I made a super deep dive into basically every book I could find about yeah. um, autism and women, autism and girls, um, everything I could find online. And a lot of it is terrific, but it's, some of it is written very scientifically or very specifically mm. to people who have the condition. This book mm. is a bit broader. It's a bit more for, it's, it's very helpful for those who have um, these conditions, but it also is a bit more expansive to welcome everyone in and realize like, hey, difference, feeling out of control, all of that, it's, uh, it's okay. So yeah. Wow. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, I love that when authors combine kind of that research and that idea, but then they also take the time to get the personal stories to illustrate it. I always think that that's so much more effective when you're reading because that's really the stuff is. that sticks with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you can find, you know, like, oh, okay. So I'm not completely alone in that. And yeah. Like, oh, okay. So my obsessive interest with say David Bowie um, <laughs> is not completely unheard of because <laughs> You know how I mentioned like with boys and men, you get this idea that autistic boys and men are very into science and math and everything. Yeah. Girls, it's very much more like arts, literature, music, bands, fantasy, really? novels, like all these things. I'm like, huh. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. See, that's why I like it too, that she combined those personal experiences about a topic that we don't know a lot about. Like you said, the, the main idea of autism is always centered around. Yep boy's behavior. Mm -hmm. So there's a certain thing that comes to mind because that's how it was introduced to us. Yeah. And it's a disservice because it's not just boys versus girls too. There's a race element to it. Mm. We, we continually associate autism and ADHD, I think with white kids, mm. and we're, we're ignoring vast elements of the population that struggle with these as well, but because they're not fitting our stereotypes and our criteria, they're probably going under the radar. Wow. And I really, I love, but also I'm horrified by the fact that because us girls are just taught to push it on down, just to hide it, to never let anyone know mm -hmm. that that's a reason why no one knows that women have autism too. <laughs> yeah. It is shocking to actually think about that in terms of just the way that society treats women is allowing, I mean, it makes you realize there's probably a bunch of things that are happening that we don't know about, you know, this is one Avenue and there's probably a bunch of others that it just doesn't serve anyone. That idea that you're not entitled to your feelings or they're not okay, or they're not worth sharing. We're just doing a disservice. We're doing a disservice. So now there's just a bunch of like Gen X women like me where, Oh wait, this is a thing. And it's our thing. And because yeah. no, one, no one talked about it when we were kids mm -hmm. no thought about it for boys or girls, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that there's people out there that are doing the work and doing the research and yeah, absolutely. You know, making advances. Mm -hmm. Well, I went a little different direction on the nonfiction. Um, I decided to go with the idea of another time that we often feel out of control, which is during breakups. 
And we just sort of lose it, right? I mean, we all feel yeah. sense out of control. Even if oh. you're the one doing it, it just feels like a weird time. It feels very, yeah, out of control is a perfect way to describe that. Right, yeah. So this book is called It Ended Badly, 13 oh. of the Worst Breakups in History oh. by Jennifer Wright. And wow. this yeah, published in 2015, and it takes you from ancient Rome to 1950s Hollywood. Like she just researched and pulled out her favorite breakup stories that you may or may not know bits of, but probably wasn't the focus of whatever you learned about in history and sort of reframes it in that idea of like, if we look at this, like this person's out of control and all because they were going through a breakup. Oh my God. So she, yeah, she outlines 13 of the worst breakups in history. And she basically pulls out, of course, their most salacious details. But through this modern lens, that really illustrates that breakups are just a time for everyone. No matter if you have power, wealth, you're this historical important figure, you have a lot to lose. And because you're vulnerable, you feel a little out of control. Yeah. So some of my faves from the book were um, Emperor Nero lost his mind and just had everyone killed because he couldn't be with the woman that he wanted. He was just willy-nilly killing people, which I guess he could get away with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I could see how that could be satisfying in the right situation. God, yeah. I wanted to murder people after a few breakups. Sure. Right? Yeah. I love the story of Caroline Lamb and Lord Byron. Um, She sent him some pubic hair at one time. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she didn't take it well. She didn't take it well. Um, that one kind of blew my mind. I don't know what else to say so, about it without kind of freaking people out. But so wait, so after they broke up, she sent some of her pubic hair via post to mm-hmm. her former lover. Mm-hmm. Huh. Mm-hmm. I wonder what mm-hmm. the, the goal might have been there. Well, it was bloody. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think the message was sort of more clear in that. Yep. 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 Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, these stories are nuts. And you're like, okay, I remember certain aspects of these pieces from history, but never quite through this lens or never like some of these details that were either just ignored or, you know, didn't serve the purpose of whatever historian was, you know, telling us about. But she also writes it in kind of a flippant tone, which works for what we're talking about. You know, like in a normal history book that that voice isn't going to probably serve a purpose, but in here it's great. Like, yeah, how many of us haven't thought about writing everything down we didn't like about that person and sending it to them in the mail? Like, they're just, so I loved it for that. And it's just a different way to look at history. It's a sort of a lighter way to relive some of those stories um, and kind of look at things through a different lens. So it was fun in that sense, but it was also nice to relate to the fact that even if I'm an emperor, I'm going to lose control. And hey, no matter what weird things we may have done, we didn't send any ex's bloody pubic hair. Right. So that's perspective. That is perspective. I mean, I I, I am speaking for you, Aaron. I, I didn't think to ask if that was something that you had no, done. No, you, you, you assumed correctly. Okay, I have not good, done good. that. Yeah, specifically, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. I have refrained from that specific. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Me uh-huh. too. No, we're doing great. We're yeah. doing good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it. <laughs> I mean, uh, I feel comfortable great. saying that I feel like I'm doing well because I haven't done that in my life. Hey, 
Yeah. That feels like, you know, we were just talking about before this, how 2022 it's um, so far, it's not great for many reasons. Right. Right. We, we haven't lost ourselves so much that we've committed one of these things yet. Correct. Correct. So here we are two weeks in, we're doing good, Aaron. We're doing good. We're killing it. We're killing it. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. I agree. So it's a nice, light little thing. It's a good, good, you know, we're coming up on February. If you want a kind of a revenge type fantasy situation headed into that Valentine season, this is great. It's a great little book to pick up. So we should around Valentine's day, we should have a revenge love type. (gasps) theme yes yeah all right should we that is yeah we're right yeah i'm I'm writing that down revenge bloody pubic theme yeah we might struggle i'm writing that so that when i look at this post-it note later i'll immediately come back to this moment of the conversation and i'll know absolutely yeah yes absolutely excellent well for pop culture I chose a show that is an anthology show, three mm. seasons, all done, mm. found on the HBO Max. Mm. This is True Detective. Mm. And like I said, anthology. So every season is a completely different story. Okay. The first season are these, is it pairs up this very sort of controlled or in control detective, Woody Harrelson versus this very like out of control force that is Matthew McConaughey. And together they have to solve this super freaky, very weird, very disturbing murder case in Louisiana. There are eight episodes of that first season. Things go crazy twists and turns. There's time jumps. There's, it is so well-crafted and so interesting along with being just a really cool like detective show too. Okay. Mm. That's the first season. The second season is based around this corrupt uh, sort of suburb of LA and the cops all trying to figure out why one particular corrupt politician got killed and what's going on there. And it features Vince Vaughn as a mob type, like a head of a mob type. Oh yeah. That works. Colin Farrell as a dirty detective and Rachel McAdams as a, truly badass really really cool character detective and there's some fascinating like gender stuff in there because they've included a female cop there's some interesting trauma narratives there's a lot of just like i said the corruption is is this whole other story then there's the third season which is another you know case to solve and everything but it's really talking more about like time and memory because we are in the future where a detective is being interviewed about the outcome of a case like 30 years earlier. And he has to remember, but he's having some memory issues and it's this whole thing. And it stars Mahershala Ali. So terrific, terrific. Yeah. So why I chose it for this theme, because I think maybe we love true crime because we want things to make sense. We want to make things make sense. You know, why does someone lose their mind and kill people? Why do bad things happen to to decent people? And I think with detective stories, it's like, it's about putting the clues together to make something that makes sense, a narrative that is in control, that's sensical, all those things. And I think here we get that, but we also get cases that 
even when all the pieces are assembled, even when we know what really happened, it's really devastating, it's really uncontrollable, and it starts a whole other story. And I think that tension is really fascinating. Plus, just over the three seasons, there's some amazing acting. The structure of each season is so cool and so unique. The style of it is just, it's gorgeous. And I do want to say, when the first season came out in like 2014, I think, everyone fell all over themselves to proclaim how wonderful this show was. And it was, it was super good. But I think because of that, when the second season came out, everyone thought this is different and this sucks. So everyone fell all over themselves to say how terrible it was. At the time, I think I was sort of swayed by that, but I rewatched it recently and it is brilliant. I think it is so underrated. I think it's so, it tells more about the show than anything else. So I, I would just say that, that if, you know, you are transitioning between seasons know that things are very different. The stories are very different. The structure is yeah. different. The actors are different. And, and that's, a, it's a kind of a beautiful thing too. Yeah. Great show. Okay. And I've not seen it. It's been on our list and we have not. So I'm going to, we're going to move it up. Just know that it is dark. It's heavy. So yeah, be, like in, dark. be in the mindset for that. Yeah. You got to be okay. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Uh-huh. Well, I, um, I picked something that we, that, I recently started. I'm not all the way through the series, so keep that in mind, but I'm a good couple seasons in, so I felt comfortable recommending it. I also feel like I need to caveat this pick with the fact that this isn't going to be for everyone. Okay, so listen to why I like it, and then you can decide if that fits something you're interested in. But it's a show called Billions. It's on Showtime. I saw the first season of that, and then I didn't. Oh, you did? Yeah, okay. Yeah. It started in 2016, so it stars Paul Giamatti, who is the um, district attorney of the Southern District of New York, and it has Damian Lewis on the other side, who stars Bo- as Bobby Axelrod, who he's like this tough guy that's come up, didn't have anything growing up, managed to make a fortune, and he's a hedge fund manager. He has his own company called Axe Capital. They trade, and he has got money to spare. I mean, it just doesn't matter. He's got a lot of money. Then you have Maggie Siff, who plays a therapist who is married to the district attorney who wants so badly to bring Bobby Axelrod down, but is actually hired by Bobby Axelrod. She works for the firm and she talks to all these stock traders all day as a therapist to help them get over their issues, whatever they are. And she kind of serves in a life coach role too. Like she's able to prop them up to do their job better, which is what Bobby Axelrod really likes about her. And there's sort of this unspoken thing that we're not sure what's going on between them, like what their past relationship is. Um, I, the first season is focuses really on giving you that backstory and why they're going at each other. Why the, um, why Chuck Rhodes, who is the district attorney really wants to bring Bobby Axelrod down and what he's fighting against kind of establishing positions I feel as though when we start to get into second season and third season, we're really getting into some meatier issues of what does it mean to have money? What does it mean to use your money? Is it okay to have money, but do a job that you perceive to be good, like a district attorney? Is it okay to have money if you give a bunch away to charity? Like there's all these questions that are swirling and sort of start to become this right or wrong. And you can't really recognize anyone on being on 
firmly on one side or the other. Like everything just gets mixed up. Um, and it feels to me this complete loss of control. Money is the top and that's all we're thinking about. Mm-hmm. So we've lost all these other guideposts. Like when you first meet Bobby, he's much more interested in his family and making sure that's a, important to him. And not being viewed as someone who cheats the system is important to him. But as he starts to get further and further in this battle with the district attorney and this battle for his money, you realize like, oh, he's losing his way, just like the district attorney is. Um, We're introduced, I think it's in the second season, halfway through maybe, to um, Asia Kate Dillon, who was on Orange is the New Black. Uh, And they play a character that comes in as an intern is a superstar and ends up rising real fast. Bobby starts trusting them more than anyone. Mm -hmm. And that character and the way they play that character is a reason enough almost to watch the show. Okay. Fascinating. So interesting. So like I said, we're um, Mike and I are watching it and we're into the third season now. So I don't know where it's going. I know that six seasons coming out soon. Um, so I can't speak for the later seasons yet, but it's been fulfilling enough for me at this point just to enjoy some of that kind of back and forth and yeah. decision making. And I think, like you mentioned, true crime, I think as viewers and as humans, sometimes we like to see people in different positions and how they make their decisions. It gives us maybe comfort or we like to be able to say like, oh, I wouldn't do that in yes, that position. So right. Yeah. And I think that the show sort of, to harken back to the beginning, scratches that itch. What? Um, <laughs> did I say it right that time? You sure did. <laughs> Way to make it full circle. Full circle. Uh, yeah, I just think it, it really gives you that idea. Like, oh my God, what's happening? And, and I love a show that can turn you on your head. Like you're rooting almost for Bobby Axelrod, even though he has more money than he knows what to do with, which is kind of disgusting in and of itself. But then also you're like, yeah, but this uh, district attorney is awful. The things he's doing are awful. So how can I get behind that? It's just, it's interesting thing to look at and think about. Uh Also back to the beginning, hearkening back to the beginning. Bobby Axelrod is rich enough that he is a live-in chef. So when his kids get up in the morning, like food's made. And let me just tell you about the envy that I have over that live-in chef. I mean, yeah, I -hmm. want someone to do that just for me. It's just me here, but I want someone Mm -hmm. to do that. Right. There's an interesting dynamic too. Um, Malin Ackerman plays his wife and she grew up with nothing too. And so she's struggling with how they're raising their boys because the boys sort of, I mean, they've grown up with, crazy amounts of money so they don't have any concept of what it's like to not and she's kind of that's a thing she's struggling with is like we're not doing a good job like they don't understand how people actually live like this isn't normal so it's interesting to see that push and pull too a little bit you know and the the idea that these two characters came from nothing because usually we see billionaires as people that maybe came into that wealth or it's a family thing which is the case with the district attorney. But here we have this guy who like made it. And so you get this kind of idea that he always has this chip. Like he's always having to prove himself. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I I like it. I mean, go in knowing you're going to have some cheesy moments and there's some parts that you're like, okay, that's great. You have a bajillion dollars, but that that could be fun too. It's, it's, you know, 
if like anything, said, you can look at that and see how you would better spend, spend your billions. Right. Right. And you got Maggie Stiff's character is amazing in this. Just so interesting and so many layers to her that are, you're just trying to figure out. And she's a very thoughtful, interesting character. Some of her lines are the best and some of her choices. Woo. Woo. Do you so. think Bobby Axelrod or any of them tear their fingers up like we do? God, I hope so. I hope so too. I hope so. But I bet they have enough money that when that happens, they just like replace the skin on the fingers or like, you know, there's some like super rich person mm-hmm. skin replacement thing that's happening. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they don't look like they're anxious and terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a scene where uh, his wife, Bobby Axelrod's wife, um, is she's out at a party and his like second in command is talking about how he's been partying too much. Like they've been celebrating too much at night and he's struggling. So he has the nurse come in sometimes and give him an IV in the morning of like fluids and vitamins and stuff. So he can keep functioning. And she's like, Oh, like every hedge fund needs one of those. So she has a cousin who's a nurse and she like starts a business of going into hedge funds in the morning. She just shows up and is like, who needs a, <laughs> and it, it like takes off because well, people, yeah, like, all those under like, extreme, yeah. yeah, extreme stress and they're going out every night and drinking too much. And yeah, it's, I, there's just some moments where you're like, oh geez, that's kind of brilliant. Like, and what a rarefied world that we yes. are not probably going to ever see in our lifetime. No, no, no. but it's also fun to sort of look at it through a different lens and, I wonder if in the fifth or sixth season that you haven't got to yet, Bobby Axelrod just designs a space shuttle and goes up to space. Well, that's interesting because I can't remember what season it's in, if it's the second or the third, but for his birthday, his second in command, like gives him basically like this bought him a place in a special bunker that if the world ends, he's got like, he's reserved a space for him. (laughs) And you're kind of like, that's crazy. But then I was also like, that's brilliant. I bet and that you exists. know those guys are all doing that. They all have bunkers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for when the shit really goes down. Yeah. When climate change, the climate change that they have engineered finally fully bites us on the ass, they'll be in their bunkers. Mm-hmm. Yep. That sounds very conspiracy ish, but I believe it. Yes. It is. And the whole show is, which is why I, I'm in, because I kind of have that. I like that stuff. Yeah, so sure. like I said, said it might not be for everyone, but I've really enjoyed it. I think the acting and it's great. There's a lot of other characters just that play, you know, bit parts too. It's got a pretty wide cast. Mm-hmm. So that's been interesting and fun to watch as well. So excellent. This was a good, good stuff. Good it theme. was a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. You did good. I don't feel any more in control of myself, but I feel good talking about it. <laughs> I will say during this entire recording, I have caught myself multiple times pulling the skin at my Me neck. too. I did so much worse on that one. I'm not flicking yeah. it off. I'm just showing you <laughs> how bad that is. Well, a week ago, um, Ziggy got me with his claw at the meeting of my nail and my skin. Uh-huh. And so it's this now weird callus that I just keep picking and picking and picking at, which makes it so much worse. Worse. It makes it worse. I blame Ziggy. Uh huh. You should. I blame yeah. Ziggy for my skin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you should because you're allergic to him. So it yeah, probably so doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like I started doing this when I was like seven. <laughs>
Oh, Lord. Well, uh, here we are with our matching skin mutilation. Another so reason bad. to ride or die, Erin. Another reason. Right? Yeah. Another reason that I can show you my mutilated fingers and you can say, wow, <laughs> look at mine. And that, that's hideous. What's wrong with you? <laughs> What's the worst is when I find myself, you know, I've pulled and I picked and everything, and then I need to bite it off. And then I realize I'm in public and I've just done that. And you know, at that point you just got to commit be like, yeah, I just bit off a piece of my skin from my finger. So see, and I'm so out of control. It doesn't even occur to me. I'm in public. <laughs> <laughs> I just rip with abandon. Rip them off. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 I think that's a great note to end on. What do you think? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. We'll be back in uh, two weeks. We probably won't hit on the topic of skin mutilation as much, but who knows? You never know. No promises. Yeah. But in the meantime, happy reading. up again same night another dream before trying this recording thing i didn't remember much of anything of these dreams i didn't remember much from any of the women and one night of doing this and it's broken things open the dreams are they're in me and they're they're coming out of me and talk to me i am not broken i am the most whole most real their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> and because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D, Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.